On the last episode with Chris Kabeca, we left off. She was in the bus with several others and they were heading towards a way to get out. Unfortunately, bombings were starting to go off in that area. They then take a U-turn to try to find a different place to get out of Ukraine. Join us for this episode. We hope you enjoy it. Hello from Cyberry and Delinea, and welcome to the show. If you've been enjoying the Cyberry podcast or 401 Access Denied, then make sure to like, follow, and subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes. We'd love to hear from you. Join the discussion by leaving us a comment or review on your platform of choice or emailing us at podcast at cyberry.it. From all of us at Cyberry and Delinea, thank you and enjoy the show. As we were finally through the Ukrainian part of the exit mm-hmm. procedure, and we got past uh, the sign uh, for Romania that we had entered uh, the zone for immigration there, mm-hmm. um, it was kind of bittersweet because uh, some people were obviously very happy, you know, crying for joy because we had survived. But um, at the same time, uh, Mikhail got a phone call as we're in that line that uh, the godparents of his children had been killed. Mm. That can be yeah. devastating. It, you know, I mean, that's, I've heard loads of you know similar stories, and it's, that's that's what's really hurting. And and, and just watching I mean, such an amazing you know people um, that this happening to it's it's yeah, it's it's difficult to to kind of even even relate to and, and see how, you know, how you can actually experience that. Yeah. So uh, then Frontex, which is kind of like the EU border guard, mm-hmm. sort of, um, they ended up interviewing me with the Romanian authorities as to gather any sort of um, intelligence on what was going on on the mm-hmm. other side. I notified them of the wiper virus and why things mm-hmm. were slowing down. They were like, oh, that explains a lot. And they asked me if, we had to pay any bribes, which I said mm-hmm. no, because they had gotten intel from some other Westerners, mm-hmm. uh, Americans uh, having to pay around $1,000 each to get through the border. Okay. And then they asked, how did this guy of fighting age get out? And so mm-hmm. I explained the story. Um, and he's, they were like rather shocked because they hadn't seen any men get mm-hmm. out. Yeah. Um so um, one of the things I had promised the passengers, I had this little uh, mini of champagne from the mini bar. And as <laughs> soon as we were out, <laughs> we were going to have each a little tiny sip. <laughs> uh, so uh, we ended up doing that. And it also turns out that one of the Romanians with us is possibly the most famous Romanian uh, to the point where the uh, SMUD emergency uh, volunteers were like, can we take a picture with him? <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, that was interesting. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, once we uh, were able to get you know, through the interview and everything like that, uh, it was fantastic. Uh, mm-hmm. We got food. Uh, we got all sorts of supplies. They even gave us a pizza. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, SIM cards uh, mm-hmm. asked if people needed rides. So some from the bus were like, yeah, mm-hmm. we need a ride to Bucharest. So they're like, yep, just jump in this car. Go, 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 go. Um, it was really great. 
And uh, luckily, some of my American friends from this very late night call I, I do every week uh, had arranged with uh, some of their friends in Bucharest, and they got me and uh, the other family a hotel room about an hour south of Syriette. And we, we all took a shower. They were going to meet me for dinner, um, but I fell asleep. Um, <laughs> I was so yeah, tired. After, after that couple of days would be severely exhausting. Uh, oh yeah, most, not just physically, but also mentally, because uh, you know lots going through your mind as well. So. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. And I woke up at about two thirty in the morning local time, mm. and got a message from a friend, uh, uh, some former special forces friends, and they were like, "Hey, we got this guy Maurice mm. in Mykola, uh, Ukraine, and he can't get out. Can you help him get out?" And I was like, "Yeah, sure." Whoever this Maurice person was, Maurice Creek, I don't, I don't follow basketball. Yeah, but I think it wasn't. I remember they were in uh, in uh, Kharkiv or somewhere even further deep than you were. So I mean, that's that's quite significantly closer to the Russian border as well. Yeah, I think it was it was Kharkiv, wasn't it? They were, that's where they were located. Yeah, we had uh, some people in Kharkiv, yeah. Sumy, uh, Kyrgyzstan. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Uh, and their experience was even worse because when we tried to get, uh, the people out of Pearson and, um, mm -hmm. Sumi, uh, by the time they figured out what was going on, the Russians were already there because they were so close mm -hmm. to the border. Yep. And they can quickly circle those towns. I mean, I think Kharkiv is only 30, 40 kilometers from the Russian border. Um, yep. so it's, it's quite close and, uh, can, you know, be very quickly overtaken, but it's, uh, yeah. Not, not much time to, to react. No, no, not at all. Um, especially in the case of the international students, um, mm -hmm. they're not from Ukraine. And suddenly they got caught up in this whole mess. Uh, some as young as 16, some with families because they were doing medical studies there mm -hmm. for a while or other you know different types of studies. A lot of computer science people, by the way. Mm -hmm. Yep. And, you know, what do you do, especially if... You know, there's thousands of you, like in the case of Sumi, mm -hmm. and uh, the university there did not have time to react quickly enough to get people out. Right. So a question of what, so you know, I, I was recently at the first conference, which is all about, it's the forum for incident response and security uh, teams. Um, and so I got to listen to the Ukrainian search kind of their story uh, into what happened. And it was really, you know, kind of listening to kind of the things that they were dealing with um, in the lead up, you know, even as early as, you know, even the beginning, early January, where a lot of what looked to be ransomware attacks, but as you mentioned, they were secretly uh, wiper. Uh, they actually were not ransomware. They were ransomware in disguise, but actually, you know, they were intentionally for wiping systems. Um, what types of services were you experiencing, like impact? You know, I remember because when I was listening to that story from the Ukrainian CERT team, it brought back memories from me from back in Estonia in 2007. I started seeing similarities, and it was very similar. You know, you had government offices, you had the telecommunications, the news were impacted, the financial ATMs. Um, what types of kind of services? What 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 was kind of completely offline, and and what was kind of sporadically still working? Uh, well, uh, some of the things that ended up being completely offline, and this was very unfortunate, were um, 
they ended up wiping the orphan database, so children okay. in care. Mm -hmm. And this became uh, really bad because um, there were, you know, a good deal of orphanages mm -hmm. in Ukraine. Yeah, Ukraine has, a, has quite a lot. I, uh, even with a good friends of mine actually adopted an orphan from uh, Ukraine quite, you know, 10 plus, plus years ago. Um, I'm just familiar that, you know, Ukraine does have a significantly large uh, orphan population. So it's, you know, that's devastating to hear that you don't know your heritage anymore or kind of where you came from. It can be you know, tough for many people. Yeah, yeah it's surrogates too. Yeah. yeah. A lot of children from surrogates in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it made it uh, extremely difficult to get those children out of uh, direct fire. Even like one of the organizations I was working with was trying to arrange uh, putting them in care homes in Poland and Romania, et cetera, but they couldn't get over the border because unfortunately human trafficking of children had already started. And uh, that forced some of uh, the kids and their caretakers back into Ukraine trying to find safe areas. And in one particular case, because we couldn't get them out, uh, they ended up going back to Mariupol and about 50 cases were in that theater uh, that got bombed, even though they had a sign on the outside, don't bomb children inside. Yeah. And all because of a wiper virus. They could have had the opportunity to get out mm -hmm. um, and they weren't permitted. And it also led to issues especially in the East for these uh, humanitarian corridors. Um, if the Russians showed up with buses, they then forced them over to the Russian side. And yeah. so there's, I think, over 200,000 children who have been taken to Russia. And some of them might no longer have identities and can't prove that they were Ukrainian. Yeah, that's, I mean, this isn't the first time it's happened. Uh, even if you hear, you know, from Estonia, uh, there's the, the, the lost, you know, hundreds of thousands of trains that took people from Estonia to Siberia back in, I can't remember what years, but um, where people actually, you know, shipped off to, to Siberia to, to do hard labor. Um, and, uh, you know, it's hearing that young children, you know, will don't know eventually where they've come from. Um, it was just, you know, it's it's unfortunate that in this year in society that those things continue to happen. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, it's almost as if there's, you know, these playbooks that occur mm -hmm. when it comes to Russia, um, the telecom, the banking, uh, yep. trying to wipe identifications out any way, shape or form, taking people, taking children. Mm -hmm. Um, trying to affect uh, any sort of satellite communications. That's another thing. Uh, they tried to take out Zelensky's satellite mm -hmm. communications, but the way that everything is interconnected, it ended up affecting the French uh, space agency, mm -hmm. uh, a ton of wind turbines in Europe, uh, and also maritime traffic, because that's one of the ways that large vessels communicate. Yep, DPS and satellites, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it affected much more than just Ukraine. Yeah, that was, that was one thing that I raised uh, with NATO was that these kind of down, you know, supply, you know, types of attacks were, and it was a, quite a few of them that came through. Um, ultimately, I think it was the financial sector and communications that ultimately affected, I think it was Latvia and Lithuania. And I was raising the whole Article 5, you know, question at the time. Um, eventually, I do get 
NATO's kind of response, especially from the cyber perspective, they did put a statement up, you know, that uh, uh, indicating that uh, there is a certain, you know, it's not just a cyber attack happens in a NATO country, but it does have to have certain severity and a certain impact uh, to society, um, which is where that kind of was kind of the response was. But it, it was, I was glad that they actually made a response uh, because otherwise you're left in this gray unknown area. But well, what if you do have a cyber attack? Is, is, is NATO ever going to respond? Um, but they kind of clarified that it was all about the severity of it and, and the impact it's. Uh, and also intentional motive as well would have also had to be there. So, uh, but you're absolutely right. I mean, it's you know a question for you, you know, for you as well, because um, I was going back and forward, and, and it was the community response was also you know whether this was a cyber war, and the feedback that I got that it was uh, there was cyber elements, but it was much more of an information war. It was more about propaganda. It was more about you know altering the truth. Uh, what was you kind of what was the feeling that you had? Was it an information war? Um, or was it, you know, did you see more of a cyber perspective? Well, I, I saw both. Mm -hmm. um, and definitely there was a lot of misinformation going around. I remember uh, we were at a hotel in Bucharest. And I think the second or third day that we were there, uh, one of the hotel clerks made this uh, flippant remark to me that only the wealthy people were able to get out of Ukraine. And I had been warned by my Romanian friends, this is what was going around on Facebook, and it was complete BS. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I told the lady, so you think that the family that's staying with me is so wealthy, they only have, you know, a bag of clothes between them. Um, but these were the types of things that were not only uh, hitting into Romania, but also uh, Bulgaria, um, Hungary, um, mm -hmm. It was particularly bad, uh, Poland, um, et cetera, um, and Moldova. And uh, when I was in Moldova last month, I went between, um, was it last month? God, I'm losing track. Um, between Moldova and Transnistria. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was a ton of it going around. But at the same time, whilst I was uh, in Moldova, um, there were some very interesting things going on. Now, uh, Moldova is not an EU or NATO member, uh, mm -hmm. but they were getting hit with uh, suspicious ransomware attacks that uh, were actually wiping things. Mm -hmm. Even though there's a law that was supposed to establish uh, the CERT team in Moldova, uh, the previous leader was pro-Russian and uh, basically inside information decided since, uh, quote unquote, Russia would never attack mm -hmm. us to not actually uh, build up that CERT team properly and give mm -hmm. them the resources they needed. Um, so that was very problematic because Moldova barely has an army, much less a cyber defensive uh, capability. Uh, and then uh, when speaking with uh, friends in Romania uh, and also the NCSE, uh, Romania, it had gotten so bad in Romania, a NATO member, that they had to shut off access to government websites to anyone who was not physically located in Romania. And they were getting hammered, absolutely hammered. It's the same, same as what happened in Estonia. 2007 was the only way we could at least maintain, you know, the severity happened for about two days in a row, um, that Things were, you know, were down, you know, to the same point, the ATMs couldn't get cash, um, websites were offline, thing, internet was slow. 
the only way to regain control was to really cut off the outside of Estonia. Is any inbound connection was you sever it. Um, it means that if you're in Estonia, you could actually access other sites around the world. But if you were in, let's say, Finland or Sweden, you couldn't access Estonian sites. And that's definitely, I mean, that's you know one of the responses I've seen. And it seems you know that even today, it is the way to kind of at least maintain some type of control if you are being bombarded, and especially not just wipers, but DDoS attacks, which also have been, you know, probably one of the most popular uh, techniques that's been used. Uh, just looking at um, here, I think uh, the cyber attacks that uh, um, we used were things like uh, phishing was uh, actually, there was about, I've got a list here, it was like over 300 phishing attacks, malware distribution, DDoS, uh, exploiting vulnerabilities, uh, uh, compromise and network compromise. And they were targeting uh, the telecommunication IT infrastructure in Ukraine, energy sector, commercial, financial, military, government. Um, so that's what you have to deal with, um, especially, you know, all of those types of industries being impacted. Um, and that's not, these are not just impacting, you know, government sites. These are citizens services that you can be very dependent on today. Yeah, exactly. Chris, question for you. How can the cybersecurity community help out on this front? Because that's the one question that everyone keeps asking. And it's usually like, oh, you could donate. But there's other ways, I know. What are oh. some ways that people can get involved? Absolutely. Uh, so one of the things I've noticed, at least here in Europe, that they've been trying to get, uh, for instance, security researchers involved is if you happen to see something going on in Ukraine, uh, for example, doing what I would say a proactive, non-destructive scan, um, because we, we don't want to add any extra traffic uh, and burden to Ukraine. If you happen to find open systems that shouldn't be or uh, things of that nature, uh, get the information in a secure and encrypted manner using PGP keys to your local country's computer emergency response team or EU cert. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And of course, one of the things I find, and you mentioned earlier, uh, Chris, as well, was the open source intelligence uh, community. I find, for me, um, I find that fascinating uh, when people were looking at pieces of information on social media and going through the process. And I, I just, some of the techniques was just impressive uh, and how much the open source intelligence community were really, you know, verifying what you know what was being spread i think for me that was one uh, area that i find interesting was definitely a way of finding out a picture or media or news whether it was real or not and going through the details and process of you know verifying the location the timing um the knowledge you know, the signs the the time you know the shadows of the determining the time of day or the angle of what the picture was taking. I find that area was really, you know, and you mentioned uh, one that Dutch was also kind of watching the process has been fascinating. Um, I think that's definitely one area I think the community can help is just going through and, and if they see something is trying to verify the origin and the source of if it's truthful or not, because I think that's where definitely information more, um, you know, that's where it's damaging is, you know, people's minds been turned. And if you can really find the source of the truth, uh, I think it's critical. Yeah, definitely. Um, another way that uh, the OSINT community has definitely helped uh, my efforts out and the efforts of groups that I work with is um, in some of the cases we have had situations where we've been asked to help evacuate a family and it turns out it's 
not a family. It's actually Russian troops there to kidnap our aid workers and demand ransom. Um, or uh, because a lot of NGOs, their main focus is helping people, not cybersecurity. They might not know how to. Um, we've also had situations where uh, there were real families, but Russian troops got to them first and they were found murdered. Uh, so another way that people can help out is if you have the skills and the determination, uh, directly contact some of those NGOs who are doing work and say, hey, I'm a cybersecurity person. How can I help you secure your stuff? Because they've been getting hit with malware, surveillance ware, disruption of communications. And then for that verification piece of trying to make sure people are actually there is a great thing. And also uh, some of the aid workers have been hit with really bad slander uh, suddenly on social media, especially Facebook. They'll uh, Russian operatives will uh, post that they're actually pedophiles and all sorts of stuff or try to dox them. So uh, people can help out by watching out. Um, and lending their skills. Yeah, troll factories are definitely, I mean, we had Jessica Ara on a while back um, who wrote the book about Putin's trolls and was the journalist from Finland who uncovered the whole background into it. And that was a fascinating, just kind of, you know, and unfortunately she became the target of the troll factory um, and watching how they operate and how they spread, you know, malicious content is is shocking into you know that's it's seeing seeing people becoming victims that it's 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 tough on their lives uh so it is yeah no definitely um and there's also been other very interesting aspects of the ukraine war um so one of the families i helped get out uh they were of jewish origin and luckily, through my uh, contacts at the Middle East Institute, they put me directly in touch with the incoming ambassador to Bucharest in Romania from Israel. And he was able to process their paperwork within 24 hours. But he said that the typical officer who did that uh, was recalled back to Israel because uh, while Ukraine is popping off, uh, the Iranian government has increased some of the physical and cyber attacks in the region as well. I mean, you can only spread yourself out so far without being then very, very thin as well. Um, so that's definitely increased. Um, and I heard a bit more about it when I was in Tel Aviv last mm. week as well. That had, had to remember where it was last week. Cyber week. Yes. <laughs> yes. So. Chloe, just interested on in any insights that you you kind of been seeing uh, from you know observing and watching uh, all of the feeds. Anything that you caught caught your eye uh, during the time? I mean, it makes me question social media a lot. <laughs> like I'll be honest, like the massive misinformation out there, I start questioning. Like, is this even good for us to have? I mean, even mental health is is you know really becoming a problem. Our attention span. Um, and it just makes me think about like, how can we do better on that front? Mm -hmm. But also like hearing the stories of people evacuating and being separated from their families, like my mom's family is mm -hmm. from Iran and they had to flee, mm -hmm. um, during the revolution and they left a little bit too late. So, I mean, a lot of this stuff is resonating because it, it reminds me of, you know, my mom's history, mm -hmm. my family's history in Iran. And it's, it's hard. That yeah. one suitcase, you want to have the bare basics and the most important things, and you want to use jewelry. 
I remember hearing that Mm -hmm. always have jewelry on at all times because it will save you money might not because money might not matter as much the value yeah Yeah. i mean i've heard stories of like Mm -hmm. people using it as toilet paper at one point so yeah yeah, jewelry is is one of those things to have so yeah yeah i think we've all mean i grew up in belfast during the the troubles times and i've always got memories and when i was watching what was happening it just you know brought back memories of then as well so it's it's always tough watching, you know, countries and people going through really hard, uh, you know, unthinkable, you know, experiences. And for me, uh, absolutely, the, there's the good things that social media brings, which it brings people together. But there is that very malicious aspect of it that can actually tear people apart. Um, so, and and the question is, is that is the good, you know, overweigh and, and provide the positive, you know, that kind of negate the, the, the evil part of it. And I, I struggle with it as well. So Chloe, I'm, I'm with you. It's, it's the aspects. I think for me, it's always about social media should be really classified as news and it should be controlled. And it definitely they should have, you know, ways of showing origin of information, you know, where did it, where did it originate from um, and how, you know, verified can they make it just like you have verified accounts, they have to merely go down to the point of verifying the source of information. And otherwise people will take the majority of it as the truth, where it's unfortunately not. Yeah, and, and news. Sensationalized yes. news. Yeah. I think that's another big one. Yeah. yeah. And so Chris, what's what's next for you? <laughs> it's just uh what's what's the plan? I mean, now now that you're healing, uh, are, you, are you well? Are you okay? <laughs> yes. Like, do you- <laughs> yes. What can the community do to help you and support you? Yeah. <laughs> you want us to ship you melatonin and alcohol? You just let us know. It <laughs> <laughs> sounds great. Um, well, um, one of the things is, uh, you know, if uh, if you happen to see something that I'm going, hey, I need particular help with this, or particular help with that, um, I might not tell obviously put the whole story out on social media. Um, but, uh, be sure to respond if you happen to have those skills, uh, because, you know, this is still ongoing and there are still tensions in certain areas. Like, um, I was in Transnistria for victory day of all things. Um, one of the times I was there, it was, it was surreal. Um, I, I definitely, you know, got exposed to, uh, completely different people than I was used to, uh, but I think that's also a good thing. Um, also, uh, you know, on the social media front, uh, like you know, Chloe, try to uh, make sure that before you go, hey, let me spread this thing out, um, that it's actually real, uh, because that's quite mm-hmm. important. Because once it gets picked up by the algorithms, um, no matter how fake it is. It can become real to a lot of people. It can also be latched onto by various um, conspiracy folks. Like uh, Q is very big into yeah. this. Um, there are I, one of the channels I monitor is a QAnon channel, and uh, let's just say they don't believe that there's an actual war. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, there's all sorts of things they believe. Uh, try not to. Uh, feed into that because uh, it's an easy trap to fall into where somebody picks up your social media, runs with it, and then a whole bunch of people, oh, it can be terrible, absolutely terrible. 
so yeah, uh, think about how your information can be used by evil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, everything you do, everything you say, it's crazy. You have to be it's careful. Absolute. Also, they say like fake news and, and lies spread faster than actual truth. Yep. Yeah. Unfortunately, the algorithms, uh, it's all about when you get an, and it's the impact and impression it makes. It's not the actually verification of the information itself, the algorithms like it's the impression it makes. And unfortunately, you know, it's the fake news that's focused on the impression um, than it is the, the reality. And that's always the things you know, for me that watching how the algorithms do not uh, support the truth, unfortunately. <laughs> so. So, absolutely. And I mean, Chris, it's, uh, it's amazing hearing your story. And so I think, you know, for the audience, definitely is a lot of lessons learned here. But, you know, definitely how, you know, you know, one is, you know, that that is still happening, as you mentioned, you know, other news is unfortunately overtaking, you know, the majority of what's happening there uh, in Ukraine. And I think this is something that we have to just keep, you know, keep supporting and keep the focus on and keep, you know, voicing um, about what more we can do. And I think absolutely Chloe brings up the important point of, you know, where the social media side of things, we really do have to make sure that what we are sharing that we, we think about two times before you know, doing, uh, you know, sharing something or, you know, requoting something or mentioning something that we really have to make sure that, you know, what is the impact of this? Um, so absolutely. I mean, it's fascinating. I just hope that for you, that's, you know, um, that you're, you're healthy and, and safe now and uh, that, you know, the community definitely can, can, you know, reach out and whenever you do, ask for help. I'm definitely sure that the community is always there. I mean, we, we have such a great community out there in info security that there's so many people that's willing to help and willing to even go beyond and, and do what they can. Um, so definitely when, when we see anyone in need and or anyone that knows somebody else in needs, uh, we're definitely there to help for sure. Any, any final things, Chloe, that you have that you would like to kind of, uh, ask, uh, Chris or any, I, I mean, like I have loads, but I, I mean, I can always message her, but <laughs> I mean, like, and everyone, if you have, like, if you have questions after hearing this or seeing this, message her, like, Chris responds. Um, and yeah, I always come to you, I think, or, or whenever I see at a conference, it's always like a new story I hear. And yeah, it's, it's fascinating, but it's one of those things where I feel like we should talk more about in InfoSec is all these other issues that you bring yeah. up. Today. It's the it's the impact that InfoSec has in society. That's that's what really we're starting to is that yes, we see data breaches all the time, um, but when it impacts, when you know the experience that Chris you you mentioned, when you can't get money from an ATM, that's a real impact. When orphans lose their their you know history and their their society where they came from, that has real impact not just for like a day or two, but for a lifetime. Um, and this is really where it comes down to is that uh, you know. I think infrasecurity is one element that we talk about in the news, but I think the ones that happens on every day that has real human you know, impact, I think that's the ones that we really need to be bringing up and, and discussing about what can we do to make sure that that can happen. Can that happen in the future? Or what can we do to make sure that we reduce the possibility of it happening? And I think that's where we can all focus our energy and attention. And I think Chris, made, I think Chris brought up the point, I think at Cyber Week as well, that we have to think about the humans. Uh, and that's, you know, the humans are not the weakest link. They are the most important link. They're the most important aspect of all of this. Um, and that's where we definitely need to be, you know, looking at focusing our attention on. Yeah, any definitely. final, any final words or comments that you would like to leave the audience with? 
Um, yeah, certainly. Uh, one thing we also have to remember is, although we might see on the news and think that this is something that is far away, uh, it's actually affecting the world in many different ways, from food shortages, rising prices, etc. And also, so many different countries are being attacked in different ways right now, including the U.S., uh, that you never know if you're going to find yourself in a situation where you're going to be directly affected by this. So uh, keep that in mind and also try to have uh, as much empathy as you possibly can towards the situation, because I certainly did not you know, wake up at the first of this year and go, oh, I think I'll help discover the world's first Geneva Convention violation via malware yeah. and have to flee a war. Um, so you don't know what's going to happen, especially since, you know, digital weaponry, uh, gets proliferated around the world and moves at the speed of light. Uh, so definitely remember the humans and that you are a human and that this affects us all. Absolutely. Wise words. Many thanks for having you. Chris, it's always great to, to hear your stories and listen to your experiences. And, uh, you've got a, such a wealth of knowledge to share. So I really appreciate it. And thank you for joining us again. On the show, and I definitely make sure that you know it, it I'm sure, definitely won't be the last time. <laughs> I'm sure there'll be many more opportunities to chat with you again in the future. And Chloe, great having you as the co host and uh, join me on the episodes going forward. So, uh, definitely for the audience, stay safe, lessons learned, make sure that you keep an eye out. You know, when anyone's in need, uh, do let's do what we can to help them. So, this is another episode of 401 Access Denied. Um, stay safe, join us every two weeks, and uh, look forward to seeing you all again in the future. Thank you very much. All the best. Learn how your team can get a free trial of Cybrary for Business by going to www.cybrary.it slash business. This podcast is also brought to you by Delinea. Dicotic and Centrify are now Delinea, the leader in privileged access management. To learn more, visit delinea.com.